Well, hey guys, welcome back to uh, CCF The Gathering. Uh, we'll be talking about two things uh, today. We'll be talking about Matthew 19 and economics and what that means uh, for us today. Uh, now, economics uh, might seem a little weird uh, for us to talk about today, but I think economics is something that's uh, really relevant in our society, uh, obviously, because uh, with, it was stories recently such as the, the Reddit inflating the GameStop stock market, uh, as well as just uh, in general, trying to to make a make a living or or issues about social security, economics are always relevant for our uh, for our society for our conversation. I think Matthew nineteen has a lot to say about economics, uh, but the definition of economics at its core is that you give in something that you have in order to get more uh, of something that you value. So you give in what you have in order to get something more. Uh, that you value. Um, and that's kind of the key component of what economics is uh, in, a, in a very basic definition, uh, and we're going to move forward uh, with that. So here in Matthew 19, uh, specifically I'm in verse uh, 16, I'll be reading 16 through 29 here. Um, this is the story of the rich young ruler. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep these commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect... Uh, perfect, by the way, in this sense, uh, just means essentially maturity. It doesn't actually mean perfection in the way that we understand it today, but uh, but spiritual maturity in in this way. By the way, so if you would uh, if you would be spiritually mature, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, uh, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, "Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven." Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. So, the story going on here is that Jesus is... In, in the midst of, of traveling, he's in the midst of teaching. He actually talks about divorce in the start of this chapter. And then some kids come up to him and people try to take the kids away because you know how like, kids can be annoying and distracting a lot of times. Uh, so people are like, hey, hey, like don't don't annoy and distract him. Uh, and Jesus is like, actually, no, no, like they're not annoying. They're not a bother at all. In fact, you guys should strive to be more like that. Anyway, that's that's kind of where Jesus is, is at. And then all of a sudden he just starts, uh, this, this rich young ruler comes up and Jesus starts talking to him. And uh, and the, the breakdown of this is essentially he says, hey, I really want to follow you. What do I need to do? And Jesus is like, well, you should do what the Bible says to do. You should keep the commandments, the things that God has called us to do. And he's like, okay, well, like, what what exactly is that? It's like, okay, well, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. You know, you know the Ten Commandments, the uh, the the basics of foundation for the the tribe of Israel. Jesus kind of gives 
uh, gives these, and uh, and he's like, okay, I got that. Now what else? What else? What else? And he's like, okay, well, you should give away all your possessions, and you should give it to the poor, and you should come and follow me. And that strikes this man odd, and he just doesn't want to do it. Uh, he so he leaps. And, uh, and then there's this whole teaching moment with Jesus and his disciples, and they say, well, how do we get the kingdom of God? You just said a rich person can't get into heaven. What does it take to get into heaven? And then Jesus goes on, and he gives this, uh, this metaphor about, um, about a camel, and, uh, or, which actually is, the, is, a, is a kind of rope. It's not, he's not actually referring to the animal, although it, it would be just as impossible to fit a, uh, an actual camel through the, uh, the pin of a needle. But, um, but then he got, Jesus says that with man, you can't do it. It's just not possible. With God, all things are possible. And this is an incredibly important story, I think, to the foundation of our faith. And I want to take a look at this in the light, because I, I, I want to, to think that maybe you've heard this story before. If you haven't, that's totally okay. But I, I want to think that maybe you might have heard this story before. And if you haven't, that's fine. We're just going to use something to shine a new light on this. This is a, this is a pretty popular story in church culture. So uh, the rich young ruler there. I want to take you, direct you now to Zacchaeus. Now the reason I want to direct you to Zacchaeus is for one reason. Zacchaeus is, uh, is included in Luke chapter 19. It's the only one of the gospel writers who... Uh, accounts of this story in Luke chapter 19, and th the story of Zacchaeus takes place right after the story of the rich young ruler. If you take a look in uh, in Luke chapter 18, you have the rich ruler uh, starting at verse 18, and then Jesus foretells his death, and Jesus heals the blind banker, beggar, and then all of a sudden Jesus sends Zacchaeus. So these are these two stories are linked, and there's uh, <laughs> there is merit to believe that potentially these stories are together uh, chronologically, but there's also maybe merit to believe that these stories. Uh, take place because thematically, because the biblical writers weren't always concerned about chronology. They were concerned about telling a story um, that made sense. And when they're writing about all the things that Jesus did, I mean, there's kind of a lot. So I'm sure maybe they'd be reminded of, of things. Anyway, um, these two fit together thematically really well. Uh, and, and for this reason, so the story of Zacchaeus, maybe you remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he climbed up on the sycamore tree to see what he could see, right? You remember the, the song of Zacchaeus, maybe you're singing it in your head right now. Uh, maybe maybe you're getting back a little bit of nostalgia from Sunday school. But the story of Zacchaeus is this. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Now, reminder, tax collectors are the worst of the worst of the worst. Like, way worse than modern-day tax collectors are because tax collectors essentially only reported to one person, and that would be the king. And they would go and they would collect debts from, pe from the people, uh, but they would charge extra. Uh, very commonly, they would charge extra. So let's say... Uh, just as, as an example, you owe three hundred dollars uh, to the crown, and so this tax collector like Zacchaeus or Matthew himself, this guy that we've been uh, studying about, was a tax collector. This tax collector comes up to you and says, "Hey, I'm going to collect six hundred dollars from you," and you'll be like, "Okay, but I only owe three and you'll be and he'll be like, "Okay, but I'm collecting six and that's it. That's the end of the story. Uh, because then the tax collector would pocket the three and just have that to himself and he would give the uh, what's actually due to the crown. Uh, and that's just kind of how tax collecting worked in the back of the day. I know, super unfair. And when I think about tax collectors back in the day, I'm kind of grateful for the IRS, uh, kind of grateful that, uh, that they are not uh, this way. But Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And Zacchaeus hears about this guy named Jesus. You might have heard of him. Uh, Zacchaeus hears about this guy as well. And so he wants to go see him. But Zacchaeus is kind of a small guy. Uh, he can't see over the crowds because these crowds would come and gather to hear Jesus teach. 
But Zacchaeus is, is a small guy, and so he can't see over the crowd. He wasn't carrying a step stool around with him. Uh, and so, uh, so he decides, well, Jesus is going to be walking along this path. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to climb this sycamore tree, and I'm going to get over people's heads. That way I can see this Jesus that everybody keeps talking about. Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus in this tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm having dinner in your home tonight. Which, holy cow, this is insane ramifications for what the gospel actually means. That the gospel, this is definitive proof that the gospel is for everybody, because there was nobody hated the land more than tax collectors. And all of a sudden, this Jesus guy, this rabbi, this teacher... Is, is telling the worst of the worst, hey, um, I would like you to have me over for dinner tonight, and I would like to spend some time with you. Where Jesus sometimes doesn't get to spend time with even the people that need him the most, according to the first century eyes, because it's really people like Zacchaeus that need him the most, because he climbs the sycamore tree to cut, try to come see him. So Jesus recognizes that, and he says, I'm going to come over to your house, and I'm going to have dinner tonight. And he does. And Zacchaeus has a wonderful meal, Played for him, and Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus is so transformative that what happens is Zacchaeus winds up saying, you know what, I'm going to give away half of my health, wealth. I'm going to give away half of it. Uh, all that I possess, half of it is going to go away. As well as anybody who I have wronged in the past, anybody who I've collected extra from, I'm going to repay them fourfold. I'm going to repay them. Let's say if if uh, if they owed $300 and I collected 6 in the past, so I collected $300 from them, I'm going to give them $1200. Sounds like a pretty nice tax refund to me. Uh this is completely unheard of back in the day. It's completely unheard of for a tax collector to do something like this, but this happens because Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. Zacchaeus seeks Jesus, and in his encounter, he says, I've got to do this. I've got to give away half of my wealth in order that it can be given to the poor and do your will on earth. Now, the reason why I bring up Zacchaeus is because there is similarities in the story. You might have mentioned the similarities of wealth. This rich young ruler obviously is rich, and Zacchaeus, being a tax collector, is a wealthy person. Uh, and so both of these stories revolve around wealth and how people choose to distribute that do they are they greedy and selfish with it or do they give it away to other people um are they are they completely selfless are they completely selfless selfish or are they kind of in the middle ground maybe leaning one way or the other where on the spectrum of selfish and selfless are they and both use money as a central part of the redemption both stories use money as a central part to each of their potential, I guess, redemption, uh, because it's all about how they choose to respond to meeting Jesus, that uh, this seems to be the crux of, of, of them following Jesus's will. So uh, the rich young ruler, we already know how that story ends, and I told you about how Zacchaeus' story ends, uh, but there's a difference in the way that each of these people to respond. Think about the way that Zacchaeus responds when when uh, when he goes and has dinner with Jesus. First of all, Jesus invites him uh, himself over to dinner, uh, and Zacchaeus uh, has him. And Zacchaeus should have been the last person on the list. And Zacchaeus responds saying, "You know what? You have transformed me in a way that I'm going to completely change everything about the way that I've been living." Yet the rich young ruler 
was a person who said, I don't want what you have to offer. He doesn't actually say that, of course. It's not in the text. But he walks away from Jesus when Jesus says to sell all your possessions to the poor. To give, to give all your possessions, not sell, to give all your possessions to the poor. He's, he, he, by walking away, is saying, I have no interest in what you have to offer. I have no value in what I might get compared to what I would give up. And not only that, but the way that we see this, Zacchaeus just simply does. He simply chooses to give away his possessions. Jesus never asks him to get possessions, at least as far as we know. Jesus never says, hey, give away your possessions. But he does. He does half of it. And he pays back fourfold the rest. That's pretty incredible. The rich young ruler, he asks for a list. He says, hey, uh, Jesus, what do I have to do to get into this uh, this eternal promised land that you've talked about? And he, and he asks, he says, I, I want to know what I have to do for this. And so Jesus says, okay, we'll follow the commands. He's like, cool, cool, I've done that. Check, 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 check. Now what do I have to do? Okay, uh, well, now you should sell your possessions and you do the poor. And he leaves. Because there's one part on this list that the rich young ruler doesn't like. Now, here's the, 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 some of the learning points that we can take away from, from that. Is that the, the rich young ruler is, he may be rich, but he's really not wise. And here's why. The gospel is not a list. The gospel has never been a list. And, and here's the irony of that. If the gospel were a list, whether it was the money or whether it was something else, eventually the rich young ruler would have walked away. Because if the gospel is a list, then it is endless, and I would not be able to, to, to be able to completely accomplish it. You would not be able to complete I had bacon this morning. That's against uh, the uh, Old Testament law, uh, but it's it would be part of a list, and the gospel just isn't a list. Nobody would have the gospel if it were. But the gospel is actually about your heart. It's about the things that you desire. So when... Jesus is talking about the rich, to the rich young ruler, and he says, to "Give me your uh, to sell your possessions, give to the poor." It, it winds up being a lot different than the way that we might initially think about that. So the rich young ruler walks away, and uh, and here's the 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 essential basis of the argument is that he walks away because his wealth hinders his faith. The rich young ruler doesn't want to give away his possessions. He would rather have his wealth and his security rather than his faith. And <laughs> whether you see it or not, I think a lot of us struggle with the same thing today. Now, I'm not trying to say that you should completely drain your 401k and go give it to an organization, you know, like CCF, you know, it'd be great. But uh, if you want to do that, if God's calling you to do that, I'm certainly not going to tell uh, <laughs> tell you what God's will is. But uh, but when I'm, I'm not trying to say that. I think the book of Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom and, and having money. But at the same time, what do you have and is that enough for you? Because if we're just collecting wealth for the sake of wealth, then I mean, really, what does that get you? Right? And, and not only that, but... Um, but God wants you to be, he, he wants you to be okay. Things aren't always going to be easy, but God wants you to be okay. And God has provided you the resources for you um, to be okay. So God is not, all, not necessarily telling you to sell all your possessions, unless, unless 
your possessions are the thing that control your heart. See, Jesus isn't after the rich young ruler's wallet. He's after his heart. 1 Timothy 6.10, uh, hopefully this is a phrase you've heard before. Uh, hopefully it's a phrase you've heard before correctly. Uh, this, this, uh, this biblical verse says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, you might have heard this saying that money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money could be a good thing. Money could be a great thing. Money is how I'm able to do this job full time. Money is how that we're able to have uh, the space in Iowa City. It's how we're able to have the campus house in Ames. It's how we're able to do activities and provide meals for students. It's how we're able to do everything that we do is because of money. It's just the way the society works. But when you love money, when you when you cherish money, when you value it, that can corrupt your heart. And Jesus is after your heart. There's a great quote, I think it really summarizes this story from a guy named Chrysostom. Chrysostom is an ancient theologian, uh, this dude that really dedicated his life to uh, studying, reading, and writing about Jesus. And he says that Jesus wasn't criticizing money itself, but the wills of those who are taken captive by it. Jesus isn't criticizing money itself but the wills of those who are taken captive by it. And that's exactly who the rich young ruler was. He was somebody who was taken captive by his, his wealth, by his greed, by his desire for more money. And Zacchaeus, on the other hand, was somebody that did the complete opposite. And I think that this, uh, this does a great job at showing us uh, in a lot of different ways who is the good guy, right? Zacchaeus starts off as a really bad guy in the story, you know, tax collector, uh, but he becomes a good guy. He becomes somebody that we root for, somebody that Jesus likes. Yeah, and the rich young ruler is this guy that seemingly seems fine from the beginning, but at the end, he's not a protagonist. He's not somebody we want to root for. And it should go to show you just so far, you know, I've talked for the past, what, 15, 20 minutes about these stories, about the, these stories, and how many times have I said Zacchaeus, but I've never once said the rich young ruler's name. And it's because we don't know his name. Because Luke and Matthew didn't think it was worth enough to write his name down. Probably because they didn't even know his name. It, it's a remarkable a uh, little subtle thing that we can see. When we think of names of, of spiritual people, we think of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joshua and Samuel and David and Saul and Solomon and Paul and uh, Timothy and Silas and the 12 disciples. We can think of a million different names that are in the Bible. But we don't have a name for this rich young ruler because, <laughs> because he chooses not to be a part of the story that's going on here. He chooses not to be part of the continuation of the gospel. So I said this is all about economics. I told you that Matthew 19 is all like about economics. And here's, here's what it is. I told you that the definition of economics is that you give what you have in order to get more of something that you value. If you're playing the stock market, you give a little bit of money to hopefully get a little bit more money. The economics is, is saying that I'm going to give some of my money in order to buy a coffee today or whatever it might be because I value that coffee more than I value these nine, I don't know, whatever, how much a cup of coffee costs, depending on where you're shopping, depending on what you're getting. Um, but you're saying I value that more than this. 
And I think that that is exactly the story that's going on in Matthew 19, because Matthew 19 is talking about spiritual economics. In the same way, the things that you dedicate, the things that you value more, are the things that you strive after. And so I would define spiritual economics as this way. The things that you give your money, your time, and your effort are the things that you actually care about. I call it spiritual economics because this is about a matter of the heart. Because what you, what you dedicate your money, your time, and your energy to is what you truly value. Think about this. If I sat on a couch and played video games all day, that shows that I spend my money on video games, I spend my time on video games, and I spend all my energy sitting on that couch. And what good is that? What good is that for the kingdom of God? This could even be in good things too. Let's say you really like your job. I really like my job. If you spend all your money, your time, and your effort putting back into your job, that might do some good things for your life. But what does that do for the kingdom? If you, if you think about how much time you might spend on your phone, if you spend money getting the nicest, newest phone, uh, you know, phones these days are over $1,000. I have a nice phone as well. But, uh, but if, I, if I spend all my money on a new phone and I spend, let's just say, I don't know, eight hours a day on a phone and I spend all my effort and energy into this little device that I'm recording on right now, what good is that for the kingdom? Especially if it's scrolling Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever your vice is. What good does that do for the kingdom? So the thing that I want to ask you today in light of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler valued his possessions. He said, I care too much about my money in order to follow Jesus. I'm not going to sacrifice that. Whereas Zacchaeus chose to go all in and he chose to start righting wrongs for the gospel's sake. And so my question is, what is the thing that you truly value? What is the thing that you put above your faith? What are the things that hinder your growth with God, your relationship with God? What are the things that make you, uh, what are the things that make, or that, that you find valuable, valuable? And what are the things that you could probably sacrifice? We're in the season of Lent and it's all about sacrificing something that you care about for the purpose of trying to, um, spend more time trying to focus more energy, focus more effort with God. Some people celebrate Lent uh, with the traditional way of not eating red meat, and that's great. Some people celebrate Lent by saying, I'm going to give up video games for how, the 90 days before Easter. Great. Somebody, uh, some people give up, uh, let's say, uh, chocolate or sweets, or some people give up uh, a, a certain blanket that they might like. I don't, it's just People have these weird things that they like, but the whole season of Lent is about giving something up that you find valuable in order to spend more time, spend more energy, spend more effort pursuing God. And so what is that thing for you? And how can you spend more time this week pursuing God?